0: organic, free-range HTML, wild, freshwater CSS, and 21-day mature JavaScript. This is not just a podcast. This is Smashing. It's Smashing.
1: This episode of the Smashing Podcast, we're taking a look at what's new in Drupal 9. What are the major upcoming changes to this nearly 20-year-old open source project? We talked to Drupal core committer Angie Byron to find out. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes a brand new article to the website five days a week? That's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help.
0: It's your weekly update.
1: Suzanne Skacker writes about how to feel more energized even when you're stuck at a desk all day. A desk is an essential piece of equipment for a web designer, but it could also cause discomfort if you sit at it the wrong way or for too long. Rather than feeling like your desk is a torture device, Suzanne shares some pointers for enjoying the time you spend there. Eric Bailey introduces the concept of equivalent experiences as those that have been deliberately conceived of and built to be able to be used by the widest possible range of people. In this first part of a series, Eric helps us to understand all the different ways people interact with technology, as well as the common barriers they experience. In How to Create Better Angular Templates with Pug, Zara Cooper shows us Pug, a template engine that allows you to write cleaner templates with less repetition. In Angular, you can use Pug to write component templates and improve a project's development workflow. In this article, Zara explains what Pug is and how you can use it in your Angular app. In How to Run the Right Kind of Research Study with the Double Diamond Method, Steve Bromley notes that although user research helps companies make higher quality software faster and more cost-effectively, there can sometimes be resistance to the upfront costs. This article equips you with some of the tools you will need to run the right kind of user research study. And in part two of his Mirage.js deep dive, Kelvin Omier-Shonnet writes about understanding factories, fixtures and serializers. Find out how factories, fixtures, and serializers enable rapid API mocking using Mirage.js. And that is your weekly update.
0: Find all these and more at smashingmagazine.com articles.
1: She is Senior Director of Product and Community Development at Acquia, a company you'll know from their software and services built around the Drupal ecosystem. She's been a Drupal core maintainer for nearly 12 years, as well as being an author for O'Reilly and an open source evangelist who just lives and breathes Drupal. Joining us from near Vancouver, British Columbia, she's passionate about getting new people, especially women, into open source. So we know she's a long-standing Drupal expert, but did you know she once taught a dolphin to make marmalade? <laughs> My smashing friends, please welcome Angie Byron. Hi, Angie. How are you?
0: I'm smashing, Drew. How are you?
1: I'm very good. Thank you. I wanted to talk to you today about something we've certainly not covered on the podcast before, and have rarely actually touched on Smashing Magazine articles over the years, despite it being a hugely popular open source project with a massive community. And that, of course, is Drupal. Now, I've deliberately not described what Drupal is in my introduction, because I feel like there could be a whole generation of web designers and developers who've never really come across it. And there are those who might think that we know what Drupal is all about, But that could be based off of a view formed 10, 15, 20 years ago almost. So what is Drupal as it stands today?
0: Yeah, so we call Drupal a content management framework, and what that means is it's uh, it's a it's a generalized framework that you can use to make uh, websites. You can use it to make mobile apps. You can use it to make just about anything you can imagine. Um, but it's a very content, structured content-based central system. Um, it's used to power one in thirty-five websites in the world, so it's 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 out there and people use it. Um, it's been used a lot for government websites, uh, media websites, just about everything that you can imagine. It's even been used to power or say the you know, princess cruise ship schedules and things like that. It's, uh, it's used in a lot of different capacities.
1: So how does it differ from other content management systems that people might have used in the past, such as WordPress or static publishing tools like Hugo and Jekyll?
0: Yeah. So I like to say that um, if you know what you want is a blog or another thing that WordPress is really good at, WordPress is a great choice. Um, similarly, if you know that you need some highly customized, you know, sort of software that can only work with one particular backend system or, or things like that, a custom, you know, CMF framework like Symfony or something might be a better choice. Drupal is great because it sort of spans both. It has a user interface so you can create content just by, you know, clicking and filling out forms Um, and you can extend it with its API, but it's built to actually allow you to do a tremendously amount of powerful stuff just by being in your browser, clicking around forms and buttons. Um, I use it a lot because I often have customers who don't really know what they want. (laughs) So, you know, they think that they want a blog and then it turns out, that oh, but we also want an e-commerce component with this blog. Oh, and we also need like a forum with five-star ratings and reviews and these kinds of things. And with Drupal, that's just a few check boxes to start adding new functionality like that. Versus with you know WordPress, it might mean you know putting a couple of different solutions together that you then have to integrate. And with custom code, that's obviously custom code, so it's going to be a lot of work for you. Uh, Drupal has a, a, a whole library of contributed modules. There are you know something like you know ten to twelve thousand of these add-on modules that can do additional features. And then out of the box, especially if you haven't used Drupal in 20 years, (laughs) um, Drupal is actually a really full-featured CMS these days as well, where it ships with media, layout support, all kinds of different things.
1: So you briefly mentioned some projects before that are using Drupal. What is the sort of ideal project where somebody would reach for it over something else? Where does Drupal really excel?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that uh, Drupal is great if you have, let's say, a... Uh, a website that, uh, or, or like a, a web presence where uh, there's a lot of different uh, subcomponents and you all want them to, ha- cons- to maintain a consistent look and feel. So universities use it a lot, for example, because they want to have the consistent university branding across all of the different subsites. However, they also want to give individual departments freedom to set up their own, say, you know, content types. So say the, the you know, the art department might want to track, you know, artists and musicians and things like that and tying those to works that they produced versus the IT department might want to be you know co- you know contracting like these are the different you know people we do IT internships for and these are the different people that work for them and Drupal allows you to model all of that content together um, and create uh, dynamic views of it and and forms that you can just click together out of the box.
1: One of the reasons I wanted to chat to you about Drupal at this point in time is that there's a major release around the corner isn't there?
0: There is. Yeah. Uh, Next. uh, Well, I don't know when this will go out, but it's uh, June 3rd. So currently a week from today.
1: And that's Drupal 9? That's correct. Now, a big new version of a mature software product always brings with it big new features, doesn't it? What are the headline changes that someone would really notice about Drupal 9?
0: Yeah, so if you're using Drupal 8 currently, the big news for you is that Drupal 9 is really not much has changed. Um, And that's a big deal for our community because in the past, when you wanted to move from, say, six to seven or seven to eight, that was a, uh, it was a, I wouldn't call it a harrowing process, but you could call it something like that where you know, we used to have a philosophy that we're going to break your code and not your data. So we would always be on the cutting edge of the latest things and any kind of major version upgrade would come with it. Um, You know, the need to port modules and uh, the underlying code with Drupal and you'd always get the latest, greatest stuff, but it would come at an expensive, kind of a a costly upgrade process. When from Drupal 8 to 9, what we've been doing is building Drupal 9 in Drupal 8 effectively. And so Drupal 8, the whole way along, has gotten the new APIs, the new features, all these kinds of things in a backwards compatible way. What Drupal 9 is going to do is cut out the backwards compatible stuff and put us all on the latest version of, say, Symphony, PHP, MySQL, all the new, newest stuff there so that we have security support for those things for the next three to five years to come. Um, so from 8 to 9, not much. If you last looked at Drupal, though, from, say, Drupal 7, uh, a tremendous amount has changed um, because you not only get the innovations that happen in Drupal 8, things like you know mobile experience out-of-the-box, configuration management, uh, the views module, which allows you to dynamically assemble lists of things uh, available out-of-the-box, but you also get um, the, the the features that have come within the Drupal 8 cycle. So those are things like uh, media library, uh, workflow management, uh layout building capabilities uh you know better automated testing and all kinds of other things
1: one aspect i'm particularly interested in because it's something that's either lacking or patched or messily to many content management systems is this concept of structured data what do we mean when we say structured content and what does drupal 9 bring us in that regard
0: yeah. Structured content is a really fascinating concept and it's been built into Drupal from, from the early days. So, you know, it, in a in a CMS like WordPress or, or, or Squarespace, something like that, you know, you would say, I want to download the photo gallery feature and I'm going to enable the photo gallery feature. I'm going to get the photo gallery as the person who created it, envisioned it. Um, in Drupal, you kind of go at it the a different way. What you do is you create your photo gallery feature from base components. And what I mean by that is you will create a content type called Photo, you will add an image field to it for the picture. You will add maybe a caption field. You'll maybe add alt, you know, attributes to the to the image and all these other kinds of so number fields for the alt attributes, or sorry for the height and width, text field for the alt attributes. There's many different kinds of things you can do, and then you'll create a view of photos, and you can choose if that photo uh, view is a you know say it lays everything on a six by nine grid, or maybe it does it in uh, two columns or whatever, and you can have full customizability. Over over how and in what way it's, it's produced. Um, so structured content is interesting because not only can you make your website look like how you want it, but because the content is structured in a generic way through entities and fields, you can also, say, for example, create a decoupled React application that talks to Drupal as a backend and have full control over how that's done. And then take the same backend, make it your website, the same backend, make it, say, a kiosk in the mall where people can select different items. Uh, so a lot of people make use of gener- you know, Drupal as sort of this general content store that can then be talked to by anything. And the way we can do that is because all the data that the CMS manages is, is sort of abstracted. Um, it's not built into the presentation layer. Like if you use a WYSIWYG editor to enter in your content, um, you're going to get images embedded in the body field. And that's never any good if you want to then take part of that body field and display it in a sidebar block. So Drupal, by structuring everything into discrete fields and entities on the back end, makes it so the content can be mixed and matched really easily.
1: So that means you could use uh, Drupal as a headless CMS, essentially? Yep. That's pretty much what you're describing there, isn't
0: it? Yes, absolutely.
1: So if you're working in the JAMstack, say, or you've got uh, a single page app, or you're building mobile apps, um, or have other sort of less conventional ways of consuming content, you could use Drupal as a content management system just to to literally manage the content and then to expose it to those other things via uh, an API with something like JSON?
0: Exactly. Yep. Yeah, JSON API support is built in, um, and this comes with it, you know, that everything about Drupal is modular. So uh, if you don't want the theme layer, you don't need to have it. Uh, theme layer is what we call like the, the HTML presentation layer that's generally generated by PHP. Um, but you can throw that out and say, I just want JSON API output of all of my content. Uh, you also get, you know, certain features that are built into Drupal built into your app. So for example, Drupal has a really robust users permissions and roles system. So you can set up different roles with discrete per to do different things on the site, and then or see different pages on the site, even and those things will be respected by Drupal and will be enforced by Drupal. So that by the time someone actually loads the application at a certain URL, you know that the person who is there is meant to have access to it. Um, so it's it's really interesting. It's a it's a cool product to work on because. Um, you know, on the one end, it's a product made by developers for developers, right? Like we started building it because we wanted an easier way to, uh, we, we, we didn't want to have to get called by somebody to change the copyright field at the bottom of the you know page every year or whatever. So we just make a box for that. They can fill it out. Um, but it's also a tool made for, you know, uh, kind of carving out a whole new, you know, area of people, which is like site builders. They're like technical, but not necessarily know how to write all the back end code, but they know, for example, how to click together these, you know, different concepts in order to make these really powerful sites. And so at any point when you're developing a feature, such as a media library, you have to not only think about how do we make this really easy to use for a marketer or a content author kind of persona who's going to use it every day, but also how do we make it infinitely extensible to, you know, from the developer side? How do we make sure we have automated tests that cover everything? How do we make sure that the output is accessible so it can be, you know, translated by screen readers and all these kinds of considerations? So Drupal is really interesting and kind of stands out in its field in that, you know, a lot of times you have to pick between a really easy to use front end that, you know, doesn't have decoupled content or a very technical decoupled content thing that you need a fleet of JavaScript developers to work on. And Drupal kind of sits in a middle in a sweet spot where it can be both.
1: Because Drupal is essentially traditionally a themed CMS, isn't it? Um, So if you're looking to build a a site, a more traditional site where you're using a theme to output HTML pages, CSS, uh, nice responsive web design that's going to serve your mobile devices, desktop devices, and so on. What sort of templating capabilities would you be looking at in Drupal? What, What have you got available to use?
0: hmm So Drupal uses a, it's a, it's a symphony library called Twig, and it's effectively HTML templates with kind of little special characters to do branching, basic branching logic, print variables, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of the default output that, that Drupal does. Um, so, you know, you have a, uh, a sort of a callback that, you know, generates the output and that's for, stored into an array. The array is passed to whichever output layer, like it could be JSON API, as I mentioned before, and just blip, big drop of JSON, or it could be passed to the theme layer which will then translate those arrays into you know this is the header this is that and it'll print it into these css uh and and html variables like that um i I don't know if that answered your question though (laughs) sorry no you did okay great
1: i think last time i used drupal it was uh using maybe smarty is that right
0: Oh, Smarty, yeah. Oh, that's like Drupal six days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's
1: Drupal six or Drupal five even.
0: Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so, yeah. Twig is a similar uh, concept to Smarty, but um, the, the nice thing about Twig is it better enforces the uh, separation between your business logic and your presentation logic. So Twig is not really, se- you can do it, but it's not set up as a best practice for you to um, sit there and start, you know, putting a whole bunch of, like, you know, functions and, you know, objects and classes and all that stuff in your actual HTML files. Your HTML files more or less stay HTML files with just these little special placeholders in them. And then your business logic all happens behind the scenes in a module or in a pre process function or something like that.
1: So that separation actually makes things a little bit more straightforward and safer for developers who aren't so used to working in the back-end world, they're more comfortable doing front-end development. Uh, but a lot of the hard logic is separated from the HTML and CSS.
0: That's right. And the other thing that you get as a benefit out of that is... Um, Twig is really good about auto XSS uh, vulnerability escaping. So a common thing that can happen when you're writing your own theme from scratch is you start printing variables directly. And then someone, you know, creates a username like apostrophe, little bobby tables or whatever, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing and messes your whole site up. So Twig is great because it has auto-escaping of variables like that. So as long as you're sticking to the APIs and you're using them directly, you won't accidentally introduce, you know, either a JavaScript or SQL vulnerability in your site just by trying to make your theme look nice
1: and in terms of the content authoring experience i know a lot of people in the web design industry have seen some of their business go away particularly at the lower end to these extremely user-friendly services things like squarespace um how does drupal compete with that sort of authoring experience that people get from these very polished and, and slick services
0: I will say we've come a long way. <laughs> you know, I don't, we're definitely not at a Squarespace level. You know, I'll just say that flat out. Squarespace has the advantage where they are not building structured content in that brand. They're, they're building pages. And so the pages are self-contained and they can have full control over the HTML in there and use, you know, nice front end tools to, to get at them. Drupal, by nature, being structured content. You know, I mentioned the benefits are that the content can be mixed and matched. It's easy to, you know, output the content in a variety of different f- fashions. Um, But the disadvantage is that, you know, our front-end tools are not, you know, they they respect that structured content nature so you don't see, like, a take-over-the-page-in-place editing experience with with Drupal as it stands. However, I will say that there's a bunch of... people doing a lot of work. And so core itself ships with in-place editing, which is the ability to, you know, click on a field and edit it right in place without having to go to the back end. There's also the settings tray, which if you want to, you know, make a quick configuration change to say the the site name or the you know the location of a block or something like that, that's built in there. Uh, the layout builder has some drag and drop capabilities in there as well. Uh, so we've really made a concerted effort to improve the content authoring experience in Drupal. Uh, we did user testing back in we started in 2008, like Drupal is an old project, as you mentioned, it's, you know, been around a while, but we started in 2008 and 2012, 2015. We keep doing these every few years or we sit down, um, and the university of Minnesota has helped us with this where we sit down and we, you know, go to a real life usability lab with like one way glass and eye tracking the whole thing. Um, and, and through that process really saw that while, you know, the back end of Drupal is amazing and people love it because it's flexible, it's well-documented, it's, you know, it's, it's architected amazingly, all these kinds of things, people really did struggle with the front end. So I kind of, I made it my personal mission. I know that Dries made it his personal mission, the project lead, as well as the community as a whole to really bring that quality of Drupal to the front end as well. And so we've, you know, added a whole bunch of capabilities since then, like a backend admin theme, um, some of these co- content author-friendly features like workflows, media, that kind of stuff, and putting it first and foremost in people's hands so that they don't, you know, have to hand write HTML tags or this kind of thing, which was like the case many years ago, so.
1: One of the things that often attracts developers to simpler publishing systems rather than their full stack CMSs is this concept of having everything managed in a Git repo. So the changes to a live site can be atomically deployed and that Git repo is kind of a single source of truth for the project. You don't have multiple copies of a database representing different versions of a, of a system. It gets around this issue of developing a new site feature in one environment and then trying to figure out how to build that up and deploy it to the live environment, which of course may have changed since they started working on the feature Does Drupal offer any way to manage that particularly difficult process?
0: Yes. Um, Starting with Drupal 7, in fact, we uh, had a concept called the features module. And what features were, were the ability to combine both, you know, module functionality as well as configuration changes and deploy those as one, you know, chunk of logical code uh, between environments. So in Drupal, Eight and nine we've improved upon that ability by building it right into the core system so there's something called the configuration management system and what it does is every bit of configuration that you do so for example how many you know what is my site name called you know what what's the email template that I'm making you know these kinds of things um, all get stored into a centralized system and that system has a it, like everything else in Drupal is infinitely flexible so you know it can be exported as yaml files for example that can just be migrated back and forth between environments and then it's really easy to also do like a git diff and find out, oh, okay, there's been changes between the last time that I saw that and I can look them over and make sure they look okay, great, import them in. Um, And there's both GUI tools for doing that as well as command line tools for doing that. Uh, Because again, Drupal's always trying to serve both of those audiences.
1: There's always this uh, great opportunity when you make a new major version of a mature software project to deprecate and remove pieces that have had their day uh, maybe features that never caught on in the way that you hope they would, uh, and to resolve tech debt uh, and that sort of thing. What changes have been made in Drupal Nine in terms of cleaning house?
0: Yeah, yeah, we did take the the major version bump as an opportunity to really clean house. So what we've been doing throughout the Drupal Eight cycle is, you know, envisioning new ways of doing things. So better. Um, a, you know, better, clearer APIs for, for example, managing entities or configuration or that kind of thing, or um, like a more modern JavaScript library for handling drag and drop or that kind of stuff. And during Drupal 8, what we did is we left all the old stuff in place because we didn't want to break anyone's site you know, between 2015 and today. Um, But Drupal 9 gave us the opportunity to say, okay, Um, as we went along the way, we just marked all these things as like at deprecated. um, And so we could find them later and be like, that's the stuff we need to clean up. And so Drupal 9 went through wholesale and got rid of all of the deprecated, um, you know, functionality. And then there's a Drupal 8.9 version that's coming out at the same time as Drupal 9, which has all the BC layers in there, but is fully compatible with Drupal 9 to give people like a, you know, a release to to move everything up to where it needs to be. Um, but yeah, so among the things we did was we updated to the latest versions of uh, all of our dependencies. We have a bunch of JavaScript dependencies, some PHP dependencies, so those are all in the latest sort of LTS releases, so we stay on that for a long time. Um, we also took the opportunity to raise the system requirements, which I know people are like, oh my god, why? MySQL f- 5.7. Five, five, but um, the advantage is that you know a lot of these you know older versions of PHP, particularly like PHP 5, that are still hanging around, haven't been security supported in ages. Um, and so we're trying to make sure that our users that are on Drupal 9 are staying secure, not only today, but going forward into the future. Um, so we've updated those, and then we've gotten rid of any deprecated uh, APIs that we've you know created along the way. So when you start a site with Drupal 9, you're starting with a, a fresh slate, no deprecated code on the latest stuff, and it should serve you for, for many years to come.
1: That sounds like quite a complex uh, development workflow. The fact that you've been uh, working on a Drupal 9 compatible version of Drupal 8 and working on Drupal 9 at the same time, getting them ready to release together. How did that work in practice?
0: Um, Yeah, it's it's worked well because we effectively write Drupal 9 in Drupal 8 over the past five years. Starting with Drupal 8, we use a concept called uh, semantic versioning. So in the past, when we released Drupal 7, for example, we just left it alone, more or less, except for a few bug fixes and maybe, you know, keeping it up to date with the latest versions of PHP that come out and that sort of thing. With Drupal 8, we made the shift to semantic versioning. And what that means is that every six months, we have what's called a minor release of Drupal and that'd be like an 8.1 and 8.2 as opposed to an 8.1.6 or something which would just be a bug fix release. And every time we do one of these minor releases, we have the opportunity to add new APIs, to add new features, um and to, you know, change the way that Drupal works with the caveat that we always need to leave a backwards compatibility uh, you know, shim in there so that existing sites st- don't stop working. So all the way along we've been improving Drupal eight since its initial release. Um, and so we've added features, you know, we've we've deprecated APIs, that kind of thing. So when we get to Drupal nine, you know, it was a lot of work. I don't wanna, you know, I don't want to mitigate the the, the word that, or you know, deprecate the work that the team has been doing because there's like this whole burn-down chart of all the deprecated things that we need to get through and all these contributed modules that needed to update their stuff too. But um, but the the effort was much lower than prepping for any other major release because it really was just honing in on those deprecated things the libraries that are no longer um, supported that we need to find alternatives for and making sure we're on the latest versions of stuff and all our stuff works with it um, and so that that's the delta between 8.9 and 9 will be it's you know i think uh i think it's something like a 12 percent reduction in code or something like that is what we managed to do but otherwise they're identical because they're all using the same stuff
1: wow so it's just like drupal 8 but the shackles have come off
0: Yes, that's a great... I'm going to quote you on that. That's great. I love it. (laughs) Have you thought about joining our marketing team? No, I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Historically, and uh, Drupal is certainly not alone in this, but there has historically been quite a lot of pain in moving uh, sites from old major versions to newer major versions of Drupal. It sounds like maybe with this process of developing Uh, Drupal 9 inside Drupal 8, maybe that has been uh, resolved slightly. So should moving from Drupal 8 to Drupal 9 actually be fairly straightforward?
0: That's right. Yeah. If, if I think there's basically three scenarios. So one is if you were running Drupal 8 and every time a new minor release of Drupal 8 came out, you upgraded it to a right away and you started making use of the new stuff, your path is going to be basically nothing. Like you've already been doing all the work and you're fine. If you moved to Drupal 8 a while back and you haven't been keeping up with the BC uh, you know, changes, there is a little bit of work for you. It's definitely the easiest upgrade in over a decade of our software anyway. Um, and we have a ton of different tools to help you with it. There's a dashboard that shows all of the contributed modules and what their Drupal 9 situation is. There's automated tools for going through and checking your code and flagging any deprecated uh, functions that you have um, and there's tools for automatically you know going up and finding oh this is the latest version of your module and it's Drupal 9 ready you should go download it that kind of stuff um, so from Drupal 8 to nine I would say that that part's pretty well covered if you're coming from a prior version of Drupal say Drupal 7 or below to Drupal 9 that does start to look a little bit trickier like among the changes that we made in Drupal 8 were for example we moved entirely to object-oriented PHP and we started utilizing design patterns that were found in other software projects which is a really smart thing to do architecturally but it does mean that if you had a ton of custom code in your old life that in drupal 8 you're going to earn in drupal 9 you're going to need to find alternatives for that so um aquia is a product in development uh called aquia migration accelerator uh which is aiming to solve that problem where we're creating like a nice you know Reactified application, which reads in your old Drupal 7 data, uh, creates equivalent Drupal 8 data for you, along with all the modules that you're going to need that map to your old Drupal 7 modules where possible, um, to try and expedite that process quite a bit. Because um, we want to make sure that everybody who's on older versions can still make it over to the new uh, to the new world order, where everyone's on the same version and we're all working together, you know. Um, and then in addition, we've also extended the Drupal 7 um, the, the community like the open source community of drupal uh has their their end of life in drupal 7 as of november of next year currently anyway we need to discuss whether covid impacts that or not um but uh but the there's a number of different companies and Acquia is one of them that offers uh, extended support for for uh drupal 7 beyond that so to 2024 at least um and so that 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 you know, sort of makes it so that people who have an easy upgrade have a year and a half to get it done. People who have a less easy upgrade have potentially like three and a half years to get it done or longer if they need to, um, you know, it, and we're trying really hard to make it possible for everybody to move over and then building tools like Aqua Migrate Accelerator to help, you know, speed up the process.
1: I'm intrigued by the sound of this functionality to scan your code and find out if it's going to be Drupal 9 compatible. Is that essentially a static analysis tool?
0: It is, yeah. So static analysis has its limitations, right? Um, so we've built a little bit, it's a, it's a library called Rector PHP, um, and it's used, You it can be used on any generic PHP code, it's not specific to Drupal, but we've built a wrapper around it um, called Drupal Rector, which my understanding is it it adds a little bit of extra things where it, you know, there's certain stuff that we know when something's dynamically uh, loaded up, the, uh, you know, the The argument that it's looking for might not be present and that wouldn't be necessarily um, addressable, you know, when it's just in static code and it's reading dollar signs and stuff like that. And so um, there's been a little bit of extra wrappers to look for some of the most common issues that we find there. Um, And the other cool thing, uh, I'm sorry, I got those two confused. PHPStan is the thing that scans the code. Rector is the thing that can automatically apply changes to code. And so we've been using those in tandem. So PHPStan to do the static analysis plus a wrapper for some Drupal-specific things to catch some of the dynamically loaded problems. Um, and then, uh, rector is a thing that's being used to say, you know, it used to be Drupal underscore set underscore message, a procedural function. And now it's this arrow You know, Drupal message or whatever it is, you know, and it automatically can make those changes for you um, so that you're really only honing in on a couple of, you know, trickier API bits that can't be automated for you. But we have a dashboard on dev.acquia.com that goes through, you know, all of the contributed modules. And I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but it was something like 50% of projects are either done already for Drupal 9 or they just need like one or two line changes that can be done with this automated tool. uh, And then they'll be good to go. So um, the two of those tools together in tandem have been excellent. Um, what I'd like to see is when we make API changes going forward in Drupal nine point one and nine point two and so on, that we actually uh, couple them with a Rector you know rule that will automatically fix them in modules going forward. Because then we could cut this you know transition period down even further in in future releases.
1: That sounds really smart. Is this something that users with Drupal eight sites currently can start using in preparation for the- Drupal nine?
0: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we've been recommending people start doing this since beta, which was a couple of months ago. So uh, yeah, there's a couple of, uh, I don't know if it's the best to like send you links or something like that, but um, there's a project on drupal.org called Upgrade Status, and that's a nice jumping off point. So that's the thing that gets you the the dashboard overview, looks at all your modules, tells you a red, yellow, green, whether or not it's ready for Drupal 9, and can point you off to the tools that either, you know, can help upgrade your site for you or uh, help you up Read your own code in cases where you've extended Drupal beyond its, its normal capabilities.
1: So say so somebody listening to this has got a WordPress site, which they've built over the years. They've got maybe multiple themes and child themes, dozens of add-ons. It's, it's straining, it's bursting at the seams, <laughs> it's beginning to sweat. Uh, and they, they're looking at Drupal, they're thinking, oh, I like the sound of this. This sounds like it's built for more the sort of project that I've got here. What would the process of moving a site on something like WordPress over to Drupal look-like.
0: Yeah, so Drupal. one of the features of Drupal 8 is the, the Migrate API, which is something we're making use of in Acquia Migrate Accelerator as well. Um, and the Migrate API is generic. It doesn't care what you're moving to or from. We happen to use it to move from Drupal 7 to Drupal 9, but you could also use it to move from WordPress to Drupal or from Drupal to WordPress, for that matter. Uh, please don't, but you could. <laughs> so, um, so there is a, there are a bunch of plugins for the Migrate system, and one of them does uh, add WordPress-specific uh, knowledge to the Migrate system system. And so it sets up WordPress as a source, Drupal as a destination, and it moves uh, things over there. Uh, you know, it that'll work for the data of your site, the actual functionality of your site. You'd have to do some some research to figure out if you, you know, say I was using this plugin in, in WordPress that maps to this module in Drupal. Uh, one, one future plan we have for Acquia Myriad Excel actually is to, is you know, once we got this seven and nine problem licked, um, to try and uh, it, open it up so we can move people from anything to Drupal because it's the same basic problem where you're, you know, you're, you're sort of doing a major upgrade from an external system to another external system. So there's no reason we couldn't, you know, theoretically throw in WordPress, Adobe Experience Manager, Sitecore, those kinds of things into this as well, uh, and work on migration tools for those. Because, um, yeah, the more on the Drupal boat, the merrier, you know. <laughs> um,
1: Drupal has been a project for nearly 20 years at this point. It's obviously got a healthy ecosystem, uh, loads of uh, committers, loads of support, Um, It's got uh, companies built around it. Um, But obviously, a project this big has to keep evolving and keep bringing in new blood. Are there any initiatives to bring new developers into the Drupal family?
0: There is. There are, um, there's a couple of those. I I would say the the one that I'm the most excited about that, um, you know, is very ambitious. And so we didn't get it done in Drupal 8, but it's the, uh, the, we're calling it the admin UI initiative. We probably need to split that up into several smaller initiatives, but effectively it's an initiative to um, modernize the JavaScript of Drupal. Um, And that means a number of different things. Number one, we're using jQuery because that was the hottest thing back in 2006 or whenever we made that decision. Um, And moving it more to like generic, you know, uh, ES6 or, you know, I don't even know. I'm sorry, I'm not a JavaScript person, so I don't know what the latest But, you know, whatever the latest ECMAScript is, we'd be using that. Um, And, you know, uh, but it also means, you know, drilling down like drupal 8 in particular already went a long way to making drupal really accessible for front for um for decoupled builds so you know having a json api output there's a there's a distribution called contenta that is gets you up and running on a drupal site sort of catered to headless if that's what you want um so there's a bunch of stuff in that area but i would love to do even more you know knowing that that is a that is a more or less, a best practice now is like you know sort of build this this decoupled front end to a back end and really hone Drupal for that purpose, so I think that's part of the javascript modernization and then the other part is you know a lot of our admin uh experience tools are still kind of in that you know, PHP client server model where like a person clicks a button, there's a request to the server, something churns and then you get output. I would love to bring in more of the sort of dynamic instant feedback, you know, that React, Vue, Angular, some of those libraries make, uh, make possible. I would love to get some of that in the actual admin interface, both, you know, just so the core interface looks nice, but also because if we could develop a set of components, say React components or something like that, Um, All of the uh, Drupal modules that plug into Drupal could also make use of those and it wouldn't be like reinventing the wheel every time. Uh, So I think that's going to be a major focus for Drupal 9 is, is sort of modernizing the JavaScript and the whole overall developer experience of Drupal for JavaScript developers. Um, and then in addition to that, we're also trying to minimize the amount of work that people who are developers and already know Drupal have to do through the automatic updates initiative is another big one that I'm excited about where, um, right now, if you want to update your modules, that's pretty straightforward, but updating core requires some manual work. Um, and we would like to like get rid of that so that everybody can, you know, stay on the most secure version and that kind of thing if it hasn't come across drupal's very concerned about security (laughs) you know we we run we run some major like governments in the world we are running like the grammys or whatever like a lot of people depend on drupal for being rock solid and so we spend a lot of time being very concerned about the security of the software you know making sure our security team is responsive not only to core issues but anything that happens in our contributed module space um you know we we take a lot of care about accessibility. We make sure that you know the, any change that goes into core goes through a series of gates and make sure that it's WK compatible and uses the correct ARIA attributes and all that kind of stuff. So we really have spent a lot of time making sure that things are good. And now I think the next phase of things is gonna be opening up all of that effort that we've put in to make it more accessible to more people.
1: So it sounds like Drupal takes long-term support very seriously. That's correct. How do you balance having a modern code base? Uh, you mentioned updating uh, the style of JavaScript that you're using, having something that's attractive to developers, yet still having something that's stable and isn't following fads, isn't bringing in dependencies that are going to quickly go away that you can rely on and, and is going to be a bit boring and keep running and be
0: supportable? That is a fair question. Um, I think a couple of different ways. So uh, as I mentioned, Drupal is is very modular. Um, So one thing that has led to success in the past, so JSON API is a good example, right? There was a lot of contention about what format are we going to standardize on for for Drupal itself to output. Um, And we settled on JSON API for a number of reasons. It's an open protocol. It's not backed by one particular company, blah, blah, blah. There's a bunch of stuff. So... um, when we did that, we we actually prototyped that in contrib first. So we created a contributed module, which can iterate very fast and easily. And we can even just say, oh, that didn't work out, delete it. You know, so we were able to innovate really fast out in sort of this contributed module space. So we started there and saw that, hey, this thing has some legs. Like, people are actually making use of it. They're providing really great developer feedback. We've got Drupal people on the JSON API spec writing team. You know, like, this is actually really good. Let's bring that thing that we already know works into core. Um, and then we did so but it's still just a module so let's say that you know next year xml rpc comes back from the dead and that becomes a thing that everybody uses right um it's still possible that we would just leave the json api module in there we would get a new xml rpc module we would enable that by default but still leave the old thing in there and then when drupal 10 came out we'd take the old json api module move it back to contrib and people could still use it but what ships in the core software itself would would just be following the latest trends so this we kind of get the best of all worlds because we're able to innovate quickly. We're able to make the best decisions possible for what the default Drupal user experience will be and developer experience. Um, but then we're also able to backtrack on decisions if necessary to, you know, to, to do different things instead. I think what would get really tricky would be like, if we wanted to throw out the entire theme system and replace it with Angular, for example, that would be very, that would be hard, right? It's really hard to make, um, You know, all of the modules have to write four different ways that they could do their templates, you know, and that kind of stuff. So that one we would need to think through more. But that general approach of figuring out a way to plug into the system. Leaving the old way in there as a as a you know as a crutch for the people who still need it, and then when we retire things, we retire them gracefully so they're still available to people, but just not part of the core product. I think that's generally how how this goes.
1: And I guess it's that continuing process that's brought you to this point where you've got Drupal eight with all the backwards compatibility. I'll call it baggage. Baggage <laughs> uh, that you're now shedding and moving forward with Drupal nine.
0: That's right. Yep. And we'll do it again in Drupal 10. Yeah, <laughs> so.
1: <laughs> It sounds like a very important release for Drupal. Is there anything else we should know about it? I mean, when is it landing?
0: Uh, it lands uh, June 3rd. So... Um... You heard it here first, or maybe you didn't hear it here first. But yeah, um, we're going to be doing some kind of like, you know, it's it's a little sad that it's happening during COVID times. Because when Drupal 7 and 8 came out, for example, there were like user uh, groups all over the world doing like Drupal parties with cakes and, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And so we're going to try and do a virtual version of that, but it won't quite be the same. Um, but it's really cute. It's like people... Bake little Drupal cupcakes and stuff like that or, you know, showing the DrupalCon on like the side of a building or like these kinds of things. And so it's a really creative and innovative community. So I'm sure, I'm sure they'll figure out some, some cool stuff. Um, but no, and in terms of things to cover, I think we we covered a lot of it. I think you know, I just yeah. If you if you've looked at Drupal before and kind of held your nose at it, I would say please give it another look. Uh, we you know we've done a, a lot of work and over the past years to uh, to to really really hone in on that user feedback, really hone in on the usability piece, making it much easier for marketers and also much easier to maintain for developers as too. Um, we uh, have done that. You know, we've managed to do those feature changes without horribly breaking things for the Drupal 8 people because we kept the uh, the backwards compatibility stuff in place. Um, but it means if you haven't looked at Drupal, even in five years, it's changed significantly as well because we've kept adding features, including API, headless stuff, workflow, layout builder, all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and yeah, and I, I'd say it's a, it's a great way to build. It's future proof. There's, you know, structured data under the hood. So you can, whatever the new front end trend that ends up being, you're well positioned to, to jump on that. Uh, it's got a great community full of awesome people. Uh, you know, I, I like, hang out open source communities a lot and some of them are kind of like, oh, oh, you don't know about blah, blah. Well, pfft, whatever, you know, that like, kind of thing. And Drupal is more like, oh, you don't know about blah, blah. Well, let me tell you about it. Cause it's awesome. You know, like, <laughs> it's just like a really welcoming, cool community. I think because, you know, we come from all different backgrounds and we're just here to make the web rock. So yeah. Anyway, I, uh, I hope something in there was helpful and thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you
1: it would be remiss of me not to ask you about your involvement in open source more generally, and especially the hurdles that are very real for getting more women to participate in open source. That's something that you're very passionate about, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I, uh, so my background is, um, I, I was like an open source zealot back when I was like, even a teenager, I like heard about open source. I was like, that is so cool. Everything should be open source. But I always had this vision that like, you had to be a genius to work on open source. Cause the people who were big names in open source back then, it's like Linus Torvalds and like Eric S Raymond. And like, I don't know, they all, for some reason they carried this glow of like, oh, those guys are so smart, you know? Um, And so I was like, you know... I was self taught. I was going to community college at the time. And so I just figured, ah, this is not for me. But then um, Google announced a program called Google Summer of Code, which was where if you, um, you you get paid over the summer to work on an open source project. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. Because if they know we're students, they don't they know we don't know everything yet. So maybe I'll apply and just see what happens. And I picked Drupal because I'm one of those people that just views source on every website I visit, just because I'm curious about what's happening. And back in the day, there's was a a website called spread firefox that was built on drupal and it was really interesting it was basically this community site where anyone could upload like a firefox install fest or you know event happening at their campus or they could upload a poster that they made or like whatever and i was just like that's really neat like i that's cool i'll just file that away for later because i had long since given up using actual cms's because i use php nuke and i was like no I'm never doing anything again. I could, my cat could write better code than this. Anyway, I'm sorry. Sorry, PHP Nuke. Um, but anyway, so I had filed that away and and I saw Drupal and Melissa. I was like, all right, sure, I'll give it a go, you know? And then it was amazing because from this side of things, like once I got in the community and was actually contributing, I realized like, wow. So A, first of all, the people that I thought knew all these things don't actually know that much, you know what I mean? They do, but like they, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. And what I saw happening was there's people who are really good at certain aspects of the code people who are really good at at documentation people who are good at design people are good at you know explaining things to people whatever all of these people collaborating on these changes and all sort of contributing the little bit that they know and i was like man if i had known that like 10 years earlier i would have gotten in on this like you know i could have had a whole decade of software experience by now and so yeah i kind of made it my mission to to sort of try and break down that barrier particularly for women because um, you know, women are socialized from a very young age to not get into tech to begin with. And then once they get into tech, there's a lot of like, Oh my God, it's a girl, you know, kind of thing. And it's just like, so that you already, if you're in tech, you're already dealing with a certain amount of crap. And it's like, why don't we like cut the crap and like show people how awesome this is. So yeah, I, I love talking to anybody who wants to get involved in open source, but to particularly the women. Cause like I ran the, a group called Drupal chicks uh, for a few years there, uh, which was like women in Drupal to get together and, and, Talk and the the meetings were so funny because, you know, a girl would be like, "Well, you know, I'm not a developer, but," and then she'd go on to like describe all this complex CSS stuff that she does or whatever. I'm like, "Do you know that's development, right? You know, like I just I see women in particular, though everybody can struggle with this, but women in particular struggling with, yeah, that feeling that even if I'm a perfectly capable person, that I'm just not as good as everyone else, and so yeah, I try really hard to to break down that barrier. I also try to, you know, break down the, you know for my own self, like people go, Oh, it's web chick. And I'm like, no, I'm just like a moron. I am like, you know, I did this stupid thing last week. It was hilarious, you know, and just to kind of break down that, that rockstar ideal stuff, because, you know, we're all just humans and we're all just here trying to make it work. And, uh, yeah, so I, that's, I'm passionate about it because I just feel like if there's someone out there who genuinely loves open source and the ethos of open source and the idea of it, that, you know, they shouldn't be held back just because they think they're not as good as other people. Cause you're, I can tell you right now, you're good enough and you should just do it
1: that's so so important so i've been learning about drupal 9 what have you been learning about lately angie
0: so at the beginning of the whole pandemic thing i um a friend of mine who teaches guitar you know posted like crap my music school closed uh does anybody want to do zoom lessons and i was like you know, I have a guitar just been hanging out here and just because I collect musical instruments just in case of the off chance my daughter wants to get into music I'm like great I have all the things you know but I have no idea how to play it I play drums and so I was like sure I'll try that so yeah actually for the past two months I've been um, taking guitar lessons online from a friend of mine and um, I'm learning like take it easy by the Eagles and like stuff like that and like a little bit of blues stuff and I'm so far very terrible but um, I'm trying and it's fun it's just like a completely different thing that I wouldn't otherwise do. And yeah, it's been really fun.
1: Incredible. If you, dear listener, would like to hear more from Angie, you can follow her on Twitter, where she's at webchick. Find her personal site at webchick.net. And of course, find out all about the current and upcoming versions of Drupal at drupal.org. Thanks for joining us today, Angie. Do you have any parting words?
0: No, I just I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to, to to speak with you. Like you've been around the block. Like holy cow! I was looking at your your resume. It's like oh my gosh! Like speaking of people that are up on pedestals, but like honestly, that's that's amazing. Um, so just I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk with you, especially about about this, the little open source project that could, and uh, you know, hope that people take the chance to try it out. This is smashing.
1: And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening and if you liked it, please share it with your friends.
0: Find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter at smashingmag, smashing magazine on Facebook, or in the supermarket by the cat food.